KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team. Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I. Good morning. I'm Tebby Cruz. It's Monday, August 22nd. Experts on Mexican cartels explain the reasons behind recent Tijuana attacks. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. California health officials say they hope the number of monkeypox cases will start leveling off or even go down. As of Friday, there are 192 cases in San Diego County. State Public Health Officer Dr. Thomas Auergon explains new guidance issued for those with monkeypox who develop rashes or lesions. If they can cover up the lesions completely, the lesions have, have stopped increasing for 48 hours, they don't have a fever, they're feeling well, and they completely covered up, then they can resume uh, normal activities. Monkeypox spreads through close contact with rashes or lesions, including intimate contact. San Diego County's unemployment rate decreased to 3.1% last month, That's according to the latest numbers by the State Employment Development Department. The EDD says leisure and hospitality led all industries in month-over-job gains. The new unemployment rate is half of what it was just a year ago. An alcohol man was convicted by a federal jury Friday for his part in the January 6 riot at the U.S. Capitol. Eric Herrera was found guilty by a jury of one felony and four misdemeanors for joining the mob that entered the Capitol. The Department of Justice said that although he is a photographer, he was not in the Capitol as a credentialed journalist. At least three other San Diego residents were arrested for crimes related to January 6. Herrera will be sentenced this fall. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Just over a week ago, a drug cartel launched a campaign of terror in Tijuana. Vehicles were set ablaze and gunmen blocked major thoroughfares. KPBS border reporter Gustavo Solis talked to experts about the reasons behind the attacks. To comprehend what's happening now, you have to understand the history of Mexican cartels. And it begins in the 1970s with the Guadalajara cartel. Professor David Shirk is the director of the Justice in Mexico program at the University of San Diego. He says the Guadalajara cartel had sole control of drug trafficking in Mexico until they killed a DEA agent. That's when the U.S. pressured Mexican leaders to go after them. And in the aftermath, the Guadalajara cartel split into three different criminal organizations that controlled different territories in Mexico. The Arellano Felix family controlled the city of Tijuana. The Arellano Felix family controlled Tijuana until the Sinaloa cartel challenged them in the mid to late 2000s. That fight for Tijuana resulted in some of the deadliest years in the city's history. When one cartel controls a city, there's relative peace. But violence increases when rival groups challenge that dominance. That seems to be what's happening in Tijuana right now. Shirk says that Tijuana's recent violence is linked to a fight between the Sinaloa cartel and a rival organization known as the Cartel Jalisco Nueva Generación. 
There's the local story, I think, about the changing dynamics of security in Tijuana. There's also a, a larger story about the new generation cartel that is um, ha has been really for the last uh, several years trying to assert itself as Mexico's new dominant cartel. But who is this new organization? Vanda Felbab-Brown studies organized crime for the Brookings Institution. She agrees that we're seeing a repeat of what happened in the 2000s when the Sinaloa cartel took on the Arellano Felix organization. But there's one big difference. The cartel Jalisco Nueva Generación is much more violent. The latest escalation is uh, not just the repeat of the uh, so mid-2000s, but in some ways even more dramatic than the mid-2000s, because the new factor that is Cartel Jalisco Nueva Generación. It tries to rule through brutality. It tries to be more brutal than anyone else. Now, the Sinaloa cartel is no stranger to violence, but its leaders prefer to work behind the scenes. They try to buy off politicians and offer food and even social programs to poor communities. In contrast, Cartel Jalisco Nueva Generación used social media and public spectacles of violence to terrorize communities into submission. Life tends to be much more brutal, uh, much more difficult under uh, Cartel Jalisco Nueva Generación's rule. Mexican President Andrés Manuel López Obrador visited Tijuana Friday. He downplayed the violence and said the military is taking care of the issue. Right now, there are 3,000 members of the Mexican National Guard patrolling Tijuana. Yet every expert KPBS spoke with said the current wave of violence is the direct result of the Mexican government's over-reliance on the military to confront organized crime. Cecilia Farfan Mendez is the co-founder of the Mexico Violence Resource Project. She says that Mexico's security strategy is clearly not working. In terms of thinking, what does this mean? I'm like, well, this means that the state increasingly looks weaker in relation to criminal groups. Stephanie Brewer is director for Mexico at the Washington office on Latin America. She also says that doubling down on militarization is a mistake. And unfortunately, what we have seen over the past really 10, 15 years is a lot of repetition of the same go-to strategies, which consists largely of military deployment. She says that there's no clear evidence that the strategy even works. The data do not show any kind of significant positive impact. So what's the takeaway? Was last week's violence a sign of more to come or just a flash in the pan? Shirk and the other experts aren't sure. They have no way of knowing, and that's by design. What's going on in this criminal underworld, in the shadows here, is like impossible for us to really know what's going on because uh, the, uh, it, it's, a, it's like shadow puppetry. Yet, a couple of things are clear. As long as rival cartels are fighting for control of Tijuana, we should expect more violence to continue until someone comes out on top. And even then, it won't be lasting peace. Again, Felbab Brown from the Brookings Institution. We will perpetually be in situations where whatever quote-unquote peace there is, is really just a narco peace. It's a peace that is totally at the discretion of the criminal groups. Gustavo Solis, KPBS News. While experts criticize Mexico's president for his handling of cartel violence, he stuck to his message during a visit to Tijuana on Friday. KPBS reporter Kitty Alvarado has details. Mexican President Andrés Manuel López Obrador, or AMLO, opened his Friday news conference in Tijuana with a lot of compliments, support, and love for the people of Baja California. But it didn't take long for him to talk about the wave of crime throughout the border state that caused fear and panic last weekend. Ahora que se presentaron estos hechos lamentables, 
while he offered the people and governor of Baja California his support and touted progress on crime, his matter-of-fact tone and policy towards organized crime, called hugs, not bullets, didn't waver. Vicente Calderón of TijuanaPress.com has been covering the border city for over three decades. I was disappointed because he basically said the same things that he has been saying from the beginning. You don't see many people confident on the hawks, not bullets policy is working. Kitty Alvarado, KPBS News. A West Virginia senator is holding up a money transfer that would allow federal officials to build the infrastructure needed to fix the region's sewage flow problem. KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson has details. It was just supposed to be a technicality. The U.S., Canada, and Mexico free trade deal gave the Environmental Protection Agency $300 million to help fix San Diego's border sewage problems. The EPA doesn't typically build infrastructure, so they want to give the money to another federal agency that does, the International Boundary and Water Commission. But the money transfer requires congressional approval, something that's happened in the House of Representatives. It's in the Senate's hands. Um, and I don't know why they, they don't just push it through quickly. San Diego Congressman Juan Vargas says the Republican who chairs the congressional committee overseeing the EPA doesn't like the idea of spending U.S. dollars in Mexico. Senator Shelley Capito, who's not uh, in favor of this, and so it's problematic when she says it has to go to her committee, and when it goes to her committee, she kills it. Congressman Mike Levin appealed to Capito directly earlier this month sending her a letter asking for her to allow the transfer. He says the San Diego region is suffering from ongoing sewage spills and moving the money is critical. Under this administration, we're going to move forward. Martha Guzman is the regional EPA administrator. She says planning work on the comprehensive sewage solution continues as local officials push for that congressional approval. We've already done it through our existing authorities to continue with the planning, the feasibility planning. We're going to have that engineering done. Last week, Mexico pledged to invest $144 million on sewage system repairs in Tijuana. All told, there's $470 million available. Congressional Democrats say they may try to include the U.S. money transfer in an omnibus spending bill that won't require approval from the Senate committee that oversees the EPA. When that will happen is unclear. Eric Anderson, KPBS News. Supporters of Friendship Park say a stakeholder summit will be held next month to gather community input for the design of Friendship Park. The summit comes after Customs and Border Patrol put a pause on construction that included two 30-foot-tall walls to the binational park. Here is John Fennessil with Friends of Friendship Park. CBP Commissioner Chris Magnus said the purpose of the pause was to engage in conversation with the community. Well, we're convening the community. The Stakeholder Summit will be held on September 9th and 10th, CBP officials have not confirmed if they will attend the summit. Coming up, billions of dollars going towards new statewide efforts on mental health support for youth. We'll have that story and more after the break. Don't go away.
KPBS On Demand is supported by the National Conflict Resolution Center. Topics like political polarization and hybrid work policies can create workplace conflict. NCRC can help workplace leaders navigate divisive issues with the culture, communication, and conflict certificate. More at ncrconline.com. Governor Gavin Newsom has announced a $4.7 billion effort to increase access to mental health support services for young people in California. KPBS reporter Jacob Ayer says the master plan for kids' mental health is aimed at helping kids and other Californians up to age 25. The plan includes training for 40,000 behavioral health professionals, creating an online platform for mental health assessment and intervention, and a suicide prevention program. Dr. Ben Maxwell is the Interim Director of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry at Rady Children's Hospital San Diego. We know how to make this a better situation. Early identification, early treatment, prevention, these things, we, we know these work. This gives us the opportunity to put some of those in place here in San Diego County. The plan also calls for doubling the number of school counselors with the incentive of helping to pay for their education, according to Newsom. Jacob Ayer, KPBS News. San Diego's independent budget analyst is out with new reports on the costs of four local measures appearing on the November ballot. KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen takes a closer look at one of them. Measure B would repeal the People's Ordinance, a century-old law that prohibits San Diego from charging trash collection fees to single-family homes. That means many homeowners get free trash pickup while people in apartments have to pay. Measure B would not impose trash pickup fees on its own. That would require a years-long study. But the report released last week estimates monthly fees could range from $23 to $29. Charging those fees could free up some $60 million for the city to spend on public safety, parks, libraries, and other needs. Andrew Bowen, KPBS News. Leaders from the city of San Diego and from San Diego State cut the ribbon at Snapdragon Stadium Friday afternoon. But the new 35,000-seat stadium won't open to the public until September 3rd, the day the Aztecs will play their first game in their new home. Friday afternoon, members of the media were given a sneak peek at the new facility. It includes a series of suites called the Founder Suites. Associate Director of Athletics Derek Grice describes some of the perks in the founder suites. At this level, uh, the guests get all-inclusive, so all food, beverage, and every event in the building with some limited carve-outs. The founder suites require a 15-year commitment, and they cost three and a quarter million dollars. Digital Gym Cinema may be small, but it's trying to bring as many independent films to San Diego as it can fit into its 56-seat venue. KPBS film critic Beth Hakamondo says Costa Brava, Lebanon is worth checking out at the Micro Cinema in East Village. Costa Brava, Lebanon is set in what the film calls a near future, but it's a future very much like the present day, but just far enough off to allow for an allegorical distance. 
The Baudry family has fled the toxic pollution and political unrest of Beirut and is living off the grid in the mountains. Then, a new landfill literally starts dumping trash on their idyllic doorstep. I wish I knew more about Lebanese politics and culture, because I feel I would see more layers in this allegorical tale. Nonetheless, there are clear universal themes to be found about corrupt governments and lying politicians, as well as how people react to a homeland that they love, but are also critical of. The film succeeds best in depicting intimate family dynamics. The landfill is not just a metaphor for a rotting political system, but also the catalyst to reveal decay within the family, as members react differently to the world around them. Costa Brava, Lebanon marks the promising feature directing debut of actress Monina Akil. Pathakamando, KPBS News. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com.